Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 30th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to catch up on some emails in the mailbag and discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me at today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Okay, uh, before we get into the news, let's uh, stop over by this bag of mail I have here, this digital bag of mail, uh, to, to read a couple entries. Um, Sam L. from Atlanta uh, wrote in a letter, basically, the, the other day when we were talking about uh, on the water cooler, I, I visited this Jim Henson exhibit, I uh, kind of uh, theorized that I would love for them to build a Jim Henson museum. Apparently, one exists. I, I didn't know of it, but there is a Henson Museum. Sam L. Uh, from Atlanta informs me that it is located in Atlanta as part of the Center for Puppetry Arts. Uh, they have two museums. He says the, the Henson Museum uh, has Muppets, Muppets uh, spanning from Sesame Street to the films, the Muppet Show, uh, Fraggle Rock, has a great collection. It's uh, He says it's rather small, but they rotate uh, different characters and displays regularly, so so next time I'm in Atlanta, um, which I am there often now with uh, set visits and stuff, another Hollywood shooting lot there, uh, I will have to check this out. Uh, Michelle, uh, a slash uh, film daily regular, uh, writes in to tell me that I should keep talking about the Magic Castle at the water cooler, uh, that I will never get enough of your tales. Well, thank you, Michelle. And she also uh, included a shout out to HT. Her favorite person uh, for reading and recommending sharp objects. Thanks, Michelle. You're my favorite person, too. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and lastly, in the mailbag, we actually have a question that we're going to try to answer. And that is Colin from San Jose, California, writes in with the question, with Venom and the Joker movies coming out soon, what other villains do you think deserve their own movie? Now, uh, Brad, I know you had some trouble with this question. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, like, I just find myself not all that interested in most 
villains without have you know the, the their hero that usually goes along with them and that's not to say that villains aren't interesting characters but i feel like it's difficult to follow a character whose sole purpose is kind of is pulling off you know deeds and uh tasks and all these things that are generally considered evil enough for heroes to stop them and that's not to say that there aren't villains that also aren't complex enough where their motivations are you know not necessarily purely evil uh but i just i, I find myself but, i don't know but we're, not, we're also not that saying thing. that you can't have the hero in the story it's just the hero is not the protagonist of the story for sure. well, i know for yeah for sure but then i feel like what's what's the point then like if if i'm if i'm not going to be fully vested in like the whatever the villain's trying to do and i want the hero to stop him then like i don't know it, it doesn't just, well, I just don't get fully engaged in the idea of an of a movie following the villain as the protagonist of the story. So are you saying you don't have any suggestions for this question? Some any answers? I'm, no, I mean the one that I thought would be kind of be interesting just because uh it's recent and it leaves so much to the imagination I guess is that um I'm kind of fascinated by w- the idea of what Red Skull was up to between Captain America the First Avenger and when he reappears in Avengers Infinity War. Simply because he talked about, you know, trying to seek out, you know, the Infinity Stones. Um, and I think it would be kind of fascinating to see him, you know, after he gets, you know, sucked away by the Cosmic Cube. He ends up somewhere else in the galaxy and is trying to track down the Infinity Stones. And he's trying to do it before, you know, some other villain who uh, that was also trying to seek out the Infinity Stones does as well. Because Red Skull does mention that there were several other people who had tried to uh, get the Infinity Stones and uh, failed. So I think that might be interesting to see, but honestly, like I, I feel like the villains that are most fascinating to me fall outside of the comic book realm. Like I'd love to see a movie about Darth Maul. Um, obviously, they filled in some of the gaps about his character with Clone Wars and whatnot, but I think that there's you know an interesting story to tell about that character in general. Um, and I also always thought that the character of uh, Bill the Butcher from Gangs of New York would make for an interesting <laughs> or- origin story. I yeah. feel like. Finding out like what uh, what it was like for him, you know, before he gets to the point where he's this, you know, big New York crime boss would have been really fascinating. Um, well, you know, the first person that came to my mind uh, with th- this question was Lex Luthor. Um, you know, you say uh, you you wouldn't care about the the antagonist if they became the protagonist in that story. What about like um, I know we've talked about it in the past, but there's that whole Red Sun. Uh, comic book miniseries that was released uh, by DC, which basically, you know, Superman landed in Russia instead of the US and became kind of bad. And Lex Luthor was kind of like the good guy in this tale. Uh, like he, he was trying to, you know, rid the world of this evil Superman. Um, but I think, then is he, is he the villain at that point, though? He's the hero then. I guess he is the hero, but okay, then just how about Luther just as Luther? I, there is this comic book miniseries that Jacob brought up in the Slack channel, and it's called Luther Man of Steel. Uh, and it's a great miniseries that uh, presents Lex in as heroic and Superman as an alien menace that he uh, truly thinks will doom the planet. And I, I don't think that like necessarily means that Superman's the bad guy. I think you're seeing... I love films that uh, take me out of my mindset and can present 
a different view of a character and ideology from like a like the completely different side that I normally wouldn't agree with. And I think that's uh, I think you could do that with Lex Luthor. And I also think you could do that with um, I was thinking about I know there's a lot of Superman uh, mythology, but maybe General Zod. I haven't watched that Krypton series. I've heard it's horrible, um, but maybe there is kind of like an angle on, you know, the whole that whole Krypton and that super, his uh, uh, feud with Superman as told from you know you know general in the the krypton military i think that could be cool um i'm not sure we'll ever get it but um uh, another suggestion i i i was thinking about is i would like to see a uh you know we're talking about joker and having like this kind of gangster tale in the dc universe i'd love to see a gangster tale set in the marvel cinematic universe with uh maybe kingpin I think would be a great way to tell like a kind of like, uh, you know, good fellas or, you know, kind of Godfather esque, uh, tale in the MCU. Uh, HG, did you have any, any ideas? Yeah. Um, although I actually, I'm funny thing is I'm kind of on the same mindset of Brad in that I prefer to have my, ho- my heroes as the center of the story and have like the, the, um, villains be their, their counterpart or their foils on upon which they can bounce off of because I really value having being sympathetic to my protagonist. But saying that, having said that, um, my first choice would be Killmonger because he's also the freshest in my mind, but because I think he's one of the greatest MCU villains and I really enjoyed how sympathetic and how complex he was and would be, would be really interested in seeing his origin story and how he came to be so angry and sort of twisted in his mindset. Um, another one would be this is based solely on the cinematic version of it, but Hella, just because I want to see Kate Blanche just vamp around for two hours, that would be great. Um, I feel like she didn't one. get. I feel like she didn't get her due in that movie. I feel like it was kind of. Uh, I wanted more. Yeah, she had she had stuff to do, but I was so intrigued by her story and how she kind of was was wronged in a sense. Like her whole her whole history and all her accomplishments were just like hidden. And I was really interested in, interested in her character, and I would love to see more of her as well. Well, may, I mean, maybe you you could explore that in a Loki movie. That's true. In some you way, could do that in a Loki movie. Um, I remember we were talking about this earlier and Brad said, I feel like we've explored everything we've had to say about Loki in the MCU. And that's true to an extent, but I think that Tom Hiddleston is just so good in the role and he's such a layered character that I wouldn't mind going to see a a Loki movie or alternatively a young Loki movie. So young Loki in the comics is um, sort of is part of the young Avengers. And he's a really fun character because he's like this basically thousand ages old uh, God who's stuck in the body of a child. And is really, it's really fun to see him kind of like come to terms with that and have to deal with um, sort of uh, other people not taking him seriously. So I would really be interested in seeing that. Um, I would also be interested in perhaps on the DC side of things, seeing maybe a League of Assassins movie, either led by uh, Ra's al Ghul or Talia al Ghul. Although we saw some of Talia's like backstory in The Dark Knight Rises, I think she's a really interesting character. Um, Ra's as well. So that would be a really cool story, I think, to, um, to do as a movie. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned young Loki because that made me think of uh, how it would be interesting to see 
sort of like a like a high school coming of age. <laughs> I would love that. Where, where like Loki and Thor have this sibling rivalry, and like and there's that, there's and that what makes me think that would be awesome is uh, Taika actually, or I don't know if Taika revealed that or someone revealed that there was initially a plans for a quick flashback in Thor Ragnarok where Thor was supposed to be like this this chubby kind of kid and Loki was going to be re- this really emo like hot topic style kind of kid and there was it was going to be a scene <laughs> between them as kids and so that would be kind of an interesting like way to do a Loki movie where you kind of get an idea of who he is and like why he became to be the way he is Oh for sure I I, I think that'd be a lot of fun and someone like Taika could probably do yeah. something that like that pretty well uh i was also thinking like this isn't necessarily something i would want to see but i think maybe a harley quinn movie could work i mean they keep on trying to uh you know combine her with other characters uh like people want to see harley quinn why not just make a standalone harley quinn movie you know what i'd like in a harley quinn movie a harley quinn poison ivy team up because those were some of the best episodes of the Batman animated series. And I really <laughs> love them sort of like Thelma and Louising around Gotham. And that would be a really fun take on Harley Quinn. In an, another, uh, I, I, you know, I, I have not seen those episodes. So I, I, I need, I need to like go back and re- rewatch some of that stuff. Um, I, uh, I also think, and I know this has been done and it was done horribly, but I think there is a good Catwoman prequel film to be done i i know uh what do you guys think of that i actually really like that idea especially if they make a really good one with a really good actress that could sort of wash out the sour taste of the halle berry catwoman (laughs) Catwoman movie but i would like it to have it tied to her um origin and and batman i think the problem with the catwoman solo solo movie we got was that they tried to do their own story and make their own mythology and end up up being a really convoluted mess because of that but if they tie it to batman and gotham and like have her be just like very much in her batman mythology then i think it could work really well yeah uh brad do you have any last suggestions um i mean D- don't make any more Spider-Man villain <laughs> movies, uh, Sony. If you're listening, um, I- I'm sure they have a whole line of them leading up to their, you know, yeah. Sinister Six that they've. They're been drawing up their made. Sinister Six storyboards right now. Yeah, uh, HT. Do you have any la- last uh, suggestions? Nope, that's it. Um, I don't know. I-, I feel like the big problem when you try to make a movie, a movie spinoff starring a villain, is usually the villains are compelling because they're so mysterious and so uh you don't want to know the details you don't want to have a prequel of that character you know you don't want to know who mike myers is you don't want to know who is behind the the mask of darth vader and i feel like many of them kind of ruin that um or or it's that the villains so closely echo what the hero has gone through that you already kind of have an idea of what like they represent what they stand for. They just went down a different path than the hero did. And so you kind of, you understand where they're coming from already. For sure. Do you think after Avengers four, we could possibly get like an actual standalone Thanos movie of some kind? Like, I, I sincerely feel, doubt it. You, you doubt it. I feel yeah. like there's such a fan base behind that villain at this point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I wonder how much of it is based on the, sort of like the memes of his attractiveness. <laughs> but um, 
I yeah, I don't know if I'm interested in a Thanos movie. I was surprised by how um, much I connected to Thanos during Infinity War. So it's possible they could do one, but I don't know if they have like enough material now that he's basically gone through the most interesting parts of his storyline. For sure. Okay, let's uh let's get to the news because we we, we spent 15 minutes on, in in the mailbag. Uh, let's start off with uh, this Fandango survey telling us what uh, people's most anticipated movies of this fall is. And I, I call bullshit on this, Brad. T- t- tell us about it. Yeah, so Fandango did some kind of survey with their users to find out what the movies that are coming out this fall they're most excited to see. And honestly, like, <laughs> I don't understand how this ended up on top. I mean, I, I to some extent I do, but it's kind of just perplexing to me that it ended up here. Apparently, the most anticipated movie, according to the Fandango users who filled out the survey, is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Now, the Harry Potter fan base is huge, obviously, but one would think that the lukewarm reception to the first Fantastic Beasts movie would have been enough for people to maybe keep their hype and expectations in check. Granted, the trailers for the sequel do look much better than the first movie, um, and I guess... You know, there's the, the fact that hot, young, sexy Dumbledore being, being in the movie is probably making it a little bit more appealing. Um, but that's just weird to me that that's the top thing. And then, like, do, do, do you think the fact that Fandango is owned by Warner Brothers has anything to do with that? Or is, is that just a, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, a, I'm floating conspiracy theories here. Pretty bold accusation, Peter. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's it's certainly possible, but but the 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 franchise, you know, uh, of Harry Potter is huge. So it's you know it's easy to see why it's it's such a big thing you know it's it's one of those movies where there people are very well aware of it families are excited to see it it's something that everybody can go see uh, so you know the the appeal is very broad when it comes to that kind of franchise you know and that's exactly why a movie like uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet is also on the list but I'm I'm also surprised to see that Venom is apparently a very anticipated movie even though I haven't heard anybody say oh my gosh Venom looks so good. <laughs> Um, I can. I, mean, I, I have not heard one single person say anything other than a negative thing about Venom. Seriously, and I mean, maybe the appeal of Tom Hardy is big. Maybe we're just like too up our own asses when it comes to like being on film Twitter and only listening to other people who are kind of like in our same circle and our big cinephiles. You know, maybe it's the fact that Venom hasn't been given his due diligence as far as a big, a big screen presence. Um, you know, maybe it's just curiosity more more than anything. Um, but what I do think is cool is that there's two movies on here that are kind of are kind of surprised me as being extremely anticipated. Uh, one of them is Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, the the biopic about Queen and Freddie Mercury, and I think that is mostly attributed to the fact that Queen's songs are you know just known so well around the world. And I think everyone is you know so excited just because the soundtrack gets them pumped, and you know this is a band that everyone can get behind, that everyone loves, and seeing their story play out on screen is going to be pretty cool. And then also A Star is Born made the top five, which I think we can probably attribute to everybody loving Lady Gaga. Um, I, I wouldn't have anticipated that a remake of a remake, you know, would have been on the on this list. But it, it just seems like the, the trailer is doing its job of getting people excited for, for the movie. I, I go to the movies a lot now with my AMC A-list. And uh, usually, you know, I go when I go into press screenings, you don't see the trailers before the press screening. Uh, so I'm sitting through a lot of screenings of trailers. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that trailer. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, in the, the movies time. and the reaction every single time from the audience is like they like fall in love with it. 
Like, and I think I think what one thing that's kind of fascinating for people too, and um, and I got, kind of saw this firsthand is that a lot of people don't even realize that's Lady Gaga until her name comes on screen because yeah. she she looks completely different without you know her big you know showy wardrobe and you know makeup for her concerts and that kind of thing. Because like, I even showed the trailer to my my mom and she and she was like she was like who is that? And I was like you know who that is? And she's like I don't think I do. And then and then she started singing. And a flash her name, and she's like, "Oh wow!" And it's like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> yeah. Um, it, but Creed two not being on this list is the most egregious offense, guys. I mean, how is nobody excited about Creed two? And, and at the very least, Halloween was at the top of the most anticipated horror movies list. But come on, like, how are we not more excited about Halloween and Creed two than Venom? <laughs> I, I guess this is, you know, shows you what people who'd still buy their tickets on Fandango, uh, you know, what what they're what kind of movies they're interested in. Uh, I think if anything, this proves that uh, that, uh, you know, a Grindelwald standalone movie would do well with this audience. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> if they can only do it if they recast Colin Farrell. And that's it. I don't I don't think we need it at all, guys. <laughs> But okay, let's move on. Uh, the the first reviews for Alfonso Cuarón's next movie have uh, hit the web. HT, uh, there's roundup of it on the site. What do we know? Is it is it good? It's very good, according to critics who saw it at the Venice Film Festival today. So this is Alfonso Cuarón's first movie since 2013's Gravity. So it's been five years since he's last directed a feature film. And Roma is, I think, is what he said, his most personal and intimate yet. Um, so Todd McCarthy at The Hollywood Reporter calls Cuarón a po- poetic curator of memories and uh, continues to praise the film, quote, Blessed with an exceptionally acute sensitivity to the things of life, Roma is a memory film of unusual beauty that pushes to the foreground what is left, commonly left in the background. Um, he continues like that, but everyone else um, just like carrying out the playlist called it stunningly personal and ambition, ambitiously expansive and human. Um, other people have such high praise uh, very similarly. So um, get Glennie Ken at RogerEbert.com says it's mesmerizingly beautiful. Uh, despite being a black and white film, you would think that its cinematography would not be quite as uh, um, praised, but everyone has so much praise for its visuals in addition to the very personal story. I don't know about you guys, but I'm such a big fan of Alfonso Cuarón's uh, films, and I'm so excited to see this. And uh, since this is a film by Netflix, I was kind of disappointed that we might not get a chance to see this on the big screen. But apparently Netflix is uh, planning a theatrical release for this and other awards contenders. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, so it turns out that since Netflix has been uh, pulling in some more prestigious filmmakers to churn out original movies for the streaming service, those filmmakers still want to see their work end up on the big screen and not just get the usual extremely small theatrical release that will qualify them for awards. They want to give you know, a good amount of, of audiences a chance to see these movies on the big screen. Uh, and so earlier this week, Netflix was said to be uh, considering giving certain prestige movies uh, like Roma from Alfonso Cuaron and uh, 22 July from Paul Greengrass and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs from Joel and Ethan Cohen their own theatrical release. Apparently, um, all those filmmakers have kind of made a push to have those movies be shown on uh, in theaters, especially Roma, because uh, um, that was actually shot on uh, a very um, 
technologically uh, advanced large format camera and basically made to be shown on the biggest screen possible. And so Netflix has, was considering this, and now apparently they've already decided to set uh, theatrical dates for those movies. Uh, turns out the uh, Paul Greengrass's thriller 22 July it will hit on October 10th. Ballad of Buster Scruggs is coming November 16th, and then Alfonso Cuaron's Roma will arrive on December 14th. Now, they're still not really getting uh, a very large theatrical release, but it is a little bit larger than what Netflix would normally do for these kinds of movies. Um, they'll run about uh, the 22 July and Buster Scruggs will play for a week. Roma might play for two weeks, and they'll run in about 10 to 12 theaters in the larger uh, city markets, mostly at landmark theaters, which you'll find you know, in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, that kind of thing. So this is cool. Um, but I still wish these movies would get a much wider release, you know, because, you know, you don't want to see a Coen Brothers movie or an Alfonso Cuaron movie for the first time, you know, on TV. And granted, these are these are usually the kind of movies that a lot of general audiences don't see until they arrive on home video or until they get the right amount of Oscar buzz. But, you know, I, I feel like giving them, people the opportunity to see these movies is, you know, much better in the long yeah. run. And I think that there's a chance that that could happen if Netflix ends up buying movie theaters like they're considering. And maybe they won't have to worry about paying to put the movie in theaters and deal with the you know exhibition process. Well, I don't think that's really the the huge problem with that is like Netflix has always been up for uh, theatrical theatrically distributing their movies. But they want to do so on day and date with it being released in uh, on their streaming service. They don't want to, you know, have a theatrical window. And that's what a lot of these exhibitors are fighting against. I think these three movies that you mentioned, they have not they have not yet announced when they're going to appear on the streaming service. So I'm wondering if if these are actually to, to get them in theaters, if they actually had to agree to some kind of theatrical window. Um, well, and that's and that's why, you know, I think it would be much better if, you know, Netflix actually ever did get their own theaters because yeah. then they wouldn't have to worry about that. For sure. Um, let's move on to our next story. And that is uh, a, a bit of uh, interesting casting. Uh, the guy that was cast uh, as Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie, is also going to be playing the same character in Mindhunter season two for David Fincher. H.T., what do we know? Yeah, so this guy has found his niche. Uh, Damon Harriman, who has appeared in uh, TV series such as Justified and Top of the Lake, has been cast in uh, the Netflix serial killer series Mindhunter as Charles Manson, a role that he's already been cast as in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino. But uh, according to the sources from Collider, uh, Harriman was actually cast as Manson in Mindhunter first and had already filmed his scenes over the summer. Um, and this will take place in a different time period too as the time period in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In Mindhunter, it takes place in the 80s. So by that time, Manson will be in his late 40s, already behind bars. Whereas Once Upon a Time in Hollywood takes place, as we all know, in 1969 when he was still a free man and um over uh in power over his uh family essentially so um we don't know how big a part harriman will be playing in either of these but i'm guessing he won't really have to i don't know shave or change his, his wigs or whatever is the case that he's doing for these films um or tv series and film 
Yeah. I, I, I wonder how the permission or the order of getting cast and like, did he have to go to Fincher and uh, Netflix and be like, well, yeah, they I'm, I'm already cast as this character in, in this uh, movie. I don't know. It just seems like such a weird uh, – I, I can't think of this ever happening before. And, and also, I like to imagine that we now have a, a connected Quinn Tarantino, David Fincher cinematic universe in the making here. Right? Actually, like, this isn't quite um, – this kind of double casting isn't quite unusual either because, really? um, yeah, uh, apparently – so uh, as you know, Michael Sheen has played Tony Blair in three separate well, yeah, projects. that's true. Uh, apparently, Michael Keaton was uh, played the same character in both Jackie Brown and Out of Sight. Um, there have other been – there have been some, uh, several other like triple castings. Peter – oh, sorry. Jerry Halava is an actor who's played Saddam Hussein in six different <laughs> movies apparently. Wow, talk about some. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the uh, I don't know, but w- what do you think about my idea for a, a connected David Fincher, Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe? I love it. You love it. <laughs> um, I I think um, who is it who joked? But Brad, Brad Pitt could play the same character, or uh, his character in um, was it? He said Benjamin Button. The, <laughs> Curious case of Benjamin Button is uh, actually the prequel for his character in um, Inglorious Bastards. But is the character in Seven related to the, that character in any way? Oh, it's like the son. I don't know. Quentin Tarantino's movies are already connected in a kind of cinematic universe, or at least a couple of them are, like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Like there's some characters that are related. I'm wondering I mean, if it, they, they all are. There's a whole yeah. thing like about how they're all connected. Yeah, I, I wonder if, if anybody after this is going to somehow reimagine the universe to include the films of David Fincher. And if you do, do you include the girl with the dragon tattoo in there? I don't know. Anyways, uh, let's move on to our last and final story. That is uh, that uh, with MoviePass going down in flames, Cinemia is trying to lure customers away with a new $9.99 subscription plan. Brad, tell us about it. Yes, uh, Cinemia, here we go again. Um, They are creating a new $9.99 a month plan that just like MoviePass will give you uh, three movie tickets each month. Uh, it does have the restriction that you can't see any IMAX or 3D movies, just 2D movies. But what's great about this, aside from the fact that you're not paying movie pass, uh, is that you're able to choose your seats in advance. You're able to purchase tickets in advance. There's no blackout dates and there's no surge pricing. So already that sounds infinitely better than movie pass, which you're paying for three movie tickets, but you don't know if the movie you want to see is actually going to be available when you want to see it. Uh, you don't know when the service is going to go down. You don't know when MoviePass is going to change their mind and be like, surprise, we're just a Cracker and Jelly subscription service now. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's it's pretty good um, when you consider, especially because right now Cinemia is having their summer sale. So they, they actually have discount prices on all of their subscriptions. The only uh, downside uh, with this is that um, you do have to it's billed annually so you do have to pay like 120 dollars up front but uh, with, uh unlike movie pass it doesn't sound like cinema is going to be making changes to their service or screwing you over halfway through your annual subscription so <laughs> it should be a pretty good deal for anybody interested in doing that yeah i hear all the time when we're you know recommending amc a list oh i don't have an amc theater near me yeah uh that's why i'm i still have movie pass even though it's so crappy I, this sounds like the perfect 
solution for those people. Like, I, I feel like if you see at least one movie a month, you're going to make your money's worth back, right? Because a movie ticket at the least costs like eight bucks in like the smallest parts of the U.S., I would think. Um, in, in L.A., costs, you know, upwards of like 15, 16 bucks for a 2D movie. So I think for nine ninety nine, if you see three movies a month with the nine ninety nine uh, subscription service, that sounds like a, a good deal. Um, HT, I know you had been gifted one of those uh, year-long MoviePass subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, they, did they translate that into a monthly subscription recently? Not yet, but <laughs> um, for now, I only have to pay extra if I go over the three uh, movies a month. So oh. it's the same for me, but if I go over three movies a month, then I have to pay you know extra five bucks per movie, I think. Um, so, which is not terrible. And I've actually considered, so I'm still kind of on the fence about AMC A-list because I'm one of those people who, while I have an AMC near me, it doesn't, it only really offers mostly major releases and big blockbusters. And my favorite theater is uh, a more indie film, indie theater that um, I go to all the time and it's covered by MoviePass. But, so I was considering keeping both subscriptions on. Oh, wow. But then- so I was, but I was, and I was wondering whether that would be worth it because I'd be paying like thirty dollars a month essentially, and that would basically amount to um, two regular price movie tickets. So maybe it would be worth it. I'm actually considering the same thing, only be, and that's because the um, there, every now and then I will go to a, um, a theater that is a little bit further away from me that is a part of a regional chain called Goodrich Quality Theaters. Because they have an IMAX screen, and sometimes they will get indie releases before the AMC theaters that are closer to me. So I've actually been considering getting a Cinemia subscription uh, in addition to my AMC Stubbs Because either either way, the number of movies that I'm seeing, I'm still paying significantly less than I would if I were paying all, for all those movie tickets out of pocket. Yeah. You know the mm-hmm. tough thing with the AMC and their independent movies? Like, I have an AMC theater near me. That you know, half the movies there are like indie movies. Um, it's where I saw Eighth Grade. It's where I saw the Mister Rogers documentary. I saw Eighth, eighth Grade there one week, and it, it was only there for a week before it got rotated out. So yeah, it's it's kind of exactly. like uh, it, when there's an indie movie playing at your local AMC theater, you have to see it that that week, or you know, risk never seeing it at any AMC theater in your like you know, 50 miles ever again. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear what you guys out there, uh, how you are dealing with the uh, movie pass apocalypse? Movie movie pass? I I can't come up with a good name for this. Movie 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 apocalypse. The what? Movie passing away. Movie passing away. Ah. Um, uh, you know, have you gone to A-List? Uh, are you thinking about Cinemia? Or are you just going back to the to the regular, just buying your own tickets with cold, hard cash method of uh, seeing movies? Uh, if you have any anything interesting to say, uh, send us a letter in the mailbag at peter at slash home dot com. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Oh, SlashRoam.com. You can find me writing about movies and TV there. You can also check out Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and some other places where podcasts are downloaded. HD, where can we find you? You can also find me every day at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. 
And you can find me on all social media at Slash Film. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and our home of SlashFilm.com. Uh, as, as I said, you can send feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, we might read them on the air. So leave your name and general geographic location uh, in case we do. And please go rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. It's good. We're good, guys. Okay. I thought for a second you were like, my recorder didn't record anything. <laughs> uh, that has not happened once in a year yet. Okay. Yes, it's bound to happen, true. though. I mean, we Mark record how, how many episodes do you think we've done in this past year? I, don't, I actually don't know this number. Oh, my God. Um, 10,000. Haven't we numbered no, them? No. Uh, we have 305 episodes of this podcast, guys. Oh. That's wow. insane. Wow. I'm surprised we haven't numbered them. We used to have, we started with numbers and then our readers told us that, or our listeners told us that the numbers were not helpful and just, they want to know what's on the podcast. <laughs> oh, Actually, well. we, we started with numbers and then we went to day, uh, the date number or the date, uh, the date. Oh. And yeah. then uh, people were like, we don't, just don't care about the date. We want to know what's on the podcast oh my gosh it's so hard to read the, the numbers on the on the title well, of the podcast well i think it's the, they're they're scrolling down uh like on itunes and like your, your screen on your phone is like there's limited view you want yeah true. you want to see what we're talking about anyways uh well thank you guys all right see you see ya. bye bye, bye.